Well, good morning, and congratulations on braving the cold. I'm glad you're here with us this morning. Now, that's a, that's a long story uh, that those two gentlemen just read in, in Acts chapter 26. I'm not going to walk us through everything today, but there are a few key points that I want to pull out for us to consider. Very important points that I think if we apply them will make a difference in our lives, but also in the lives of the people around us. But before we do that, let's set the context. Earlier in Acts chapter 24, um, Paul appears before Felix, who was the governor at that time. And he's on trial, and, and the result of it is, is Paul is thrown into prison for two years uh, in, in Caesarea. And, and um, in Acts chapter 25, we follow the story, and we find that Felix is no longer the governor. He's been replaced by a new governor by the name of Festus. So apparently back then to be in the Roman Empire and a governor there, you had to have a funny name that began with an F. Felix and Festus. The other thing is uh, we want to make note of is the Jewish leaders, they absolutely despise Paul. He's public enemy number one for the primary reason because um, he used to be one of them. He was a part of their group that would persecute Christians and come against Christians and, and try to tear down this, this new faith, this new sect uh, called Christianity that was beginning to grow and to burgeon and to, and to take off. But as we know, Paul has a dramatic encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road. It just, he just spoke about that. He becomes a Christian, and, and, it, and then he be, is used powerfully by God, by Christ, to reach Jews and Gentiles to, with the good news of Jesus. So Paul's in prison in Caesarea, but the Jewish leaders want Paul sent to Jerusalem because we see in chapter 25 they have a plot, a secret plot that is as Paul is being uh, taken from Caesarea to Jerusalem, their idea is they're going to ambush the group and kill Paul. If that doesn't work, at least he'll be in Jerusalem and they'll have the, the home courtroom advantage. So Felix is the former governor. Festus is the new, new governor. And we also have a couple other key uh, characters in the story. There is there's King Agrippa and his sister Eunice. And as you look at scripture and you look at history, there are some very scandalous things about this family. In fact, King Agrippa and his sister are living together in an incestuous relationship. His grand, great-grandfather was King Herod who tried to kill Jesus. His great-uncle killed John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. His dad imprisoned Peter and beheaded James. So Agrippa has all sorts of history and not good history with the followers of Jesus Christ. As you hear in chapter 26, Paul appeals to be heard by Caesar. He has the right to do that as a Roman citizen. And, 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 and because of that, he gets to go to Rome, which was his goal all along. He wants to be able to testify about Jesus in front of the most powerful man in the world at that time. So that's the context we have. And why is this story so important? Why is it relevant for us here on March 3rd, 2019? Well, I want to show you one undeniable truth, core truth, that runs throughout this whole story. In fact, throughout Paul's life. And then there are four um, kind of core principles, steps that we can take to embrace in response to this one undeniable truth. And the one undeniable truth that, that powers Paul's life, that dominates this whole story, is that Jesus Christ is alive. He's risen. This, this fact changes Paul's life completely upside down. He wants everybody to know that Jesus Christ is not dead and that he is risen from the dead. 
and that God has kept his promise to his people to send a Messiah who would save his people from their sins. And as Paul says in verse 26, this has not been done in a corner. In other words, this is public knowledge. There are people who can attest to the fact that Christ was crucified. There are people who can attest that they saw Christ risen from the dead. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ is historically reliable, which is another sermon for another day. But this undeniable truth remains. Jesus is alive. And everybody's eternity depends on their response to this, to this truth. Which leads us to the first of the four practical steps. The first is simply trust in Jesus. Trust in the truth of Jesus Christ. Romans 10, 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Paul wrote those words. We must make a decision with what we believe about Jesus Christ. Indecision is a decision. Will you trust in him or not? There is no middle ground. Jesus is not dead, Paul asserts. He is alive and he is pursuing you. Now, this is not the only place where we read about Paul's encounter with the risen Christ. There's a number of other places in the New Testament. But here in Acts 26, in verse 14, we have a detail that we do not have anywhere else. And it's where the Lord says to Paul, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, what does that mean? Well, a goad is what? It's basically a stick that's used to prod cattle to make them go where they need to go and when they need to go. And it's not good for the cattle to fight that, not good for them to, to resist that. Now, you, many of you know I grew up on a farm. We worked with cattle almost on a daily basis. And most of the time we could sort them out and using horses or you just kind of wave your arms or wave a stick and they would go where you wanted to go. But once in a while you'd, you'd run to a rambunctious one or one that was scared or, or a little just stubborn. And you had these prods and you would stick them with them. And if that didn't work, you push a little button and they'd get shocked. Now, Peter wouldn't like that very much. But, 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 but some cattle, they would just kind of fight against it. And it would cause them discomfort and it would stress them out. It would cause them pain. How many of us do that with God? How many of us fight against God? Resist him, despite it not being good for us to do so. For example, God, I do not want to give up that relationship. I don't want to give this person up. And we don't. It ends up breaking our hearts or it causes our hearts to grow cold or distant from God. And it drags us away from what is right and true and good. Or, God, I don't want to give up that habit or that way of life or that way of thinking. But it ends up leaving us frustrated and full of regrets and stuck in a rut we cannot seem to get out of. Jesus is saying to Paul, why? Why are you working against me when I'm for you? When I'm on your side? So the first step to respond to this truth of Christ risen from the dead is to put our trust in Jesus, to not resist him because he is for us and he loves us. And when we do that, it leads to the second step, which is to testify about Jesus. Now, Luke, as we know, along with being a physician, uh, was also a historian. And he wrote another book in the Bible, uh, just a couple of books back, called The Gospel of Luke. And in the Gospel of Luke, he records this, this situation. The setting is Jesus is preparing his disciples for the time when he will be gone. 
Jesus knows that that he's going to be crucified. He'll be buried on the third day, risen from the dead, and then he'll ascend into heaven. He's trying to prepare them for the things they're going to face after he's gone. And listen to what he says to them in Luke 21, verse 12. But before all this, they will lay your hands, their hands on you. This is Jesus talking and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. Does that sound familiar? That's exactly what's happening with Paul in Acts 26. But then listen to what Jesus says in verse 13. This will be your opportunity to bear witness, to testify. Paul knows that this is a a great opportunity, a prime opportunity for him to testify about the risen Christ, about how Jesus has changed his life, about what Jesus means to him. Now, this is where the light turns on us. We have to put ourselves uh, in in the shoes, in, in the place of this story. And the likelihood is, I'm doubting that any of us this week, probably not during the courses of our lives, are going to be drug in front of a, a president or a king or a governor. But each of us do have opportunities this week to testify, to bear witness. And what I love about Acts 26 is that it's quite simple. He simply shares his story, Paul does. That's all he does. Look at verses 4 through 12. What does he do? He talks about what his life was like before he met Jesus. In verses 13 through 15, he talks about how he met Jesus. In verses 16 through 23, he talks about how Jesus has changed his life and how he's living his life differently now. And anybody who is trusted in Jesus Christ can do that, right? Your life before Jesus, how you met Jesus, how he's changed your life since then. Now think about it. If if every person in our church did that simply, just shared our stories. Just, just think, hundreds of people in our, in our town, in our community, sharing the story of the love and the grace of God. Think about that. Share your story. And then, like Paul, ask the person that you share your story with, don't you want to believe? What's keeping you from believing? Now, it's interesting here in Acts 26, Paul doesn't seem to be concerned with himself at all. He's concerned instead with the king and with the governor and with all of these people in the room who do not know Jesus, who aren't saved. That's why he says this in verse 29. Except for these chains, he basically says, I wish you were like me. I wish you knew the risen Christ. Now, obviously, we're not in chains, at least literal chains, like Paul here, which leads us to our third step. Stick with me here. Pray for the persecuted. Take a look at this from the perspective of a first century Christian for whom persecution was a real possibility, a real probability. Now, we're pretty comfortable here. I do not mean to diminish what you're going through currently, any difficulties or hardships, but we're pretty comfortable in regard to the ability to practice our faith. But much of the world, much of the world, brothers and sisters in Christ, do not have that freedom. And trials and beatings and and imprisonment, and yes, opportunities to testify before government officials, those are realities. For example, North Korea, 
In North Korea, it's ranked as one of the worst places to live as a Christian. Thousands of Christians have been placed in work camps. If a North Korean is suspected of having contact with Christians from China or South Korea, if they're found with a Bible, they can be shot. North Korean police are trained to travel to China, pretending to be Christians so they can infiltrate Chinese churches and then track back the contacts to the North Koreans. And they hold these mock prayer meetings to entrap North Korean Christians, many of whom are caught and imprisoned, some killed. Now, obviously, not all countries are as severe as North Korea. But our State Department reports over 60 countries around the world persecute and mistreat Christians today. And so I think our text here in Acts 22, it beckons us to open our eyes for a moment and to remember them and to pray for them, to pray for them that God would do for them what he did for Paul, that God would strengthen them, that God would sustain them, and he would empower them to boldly proclaim the good news of Jesus even when it's costly. So we have one undeniable truth, Jesus is alive, and we have four practical steps to take in response. We are to trust in Jesus Christ, the truth of Christ. We are to tell our story, to testify about Jesus. We are to pray for our brothers and sisters who are persecuted. And the last one is we are to face life without fear. Now again, Paul is standing before this powerful group of people. They can end his life. They can literally end his life. But Paul knows that because Jesus is alive, he has nothing to fear. He's this weak, unimpressive little Jewish guy, and he's fearless. Now think about it. Again, King Agrippa, he's from a family of bad dudes. It's like standing in front of a mob boss who's killed your, a bunch of your friends and, and family, and Paul knows it could happen to him too, and yet he is fearless. I heard recently about a woman in East Asia uh, who's friends with a pastor on the East Coast here in the States. And um, he describes her as a small woman physically, uh, as being meek and quiet. And this woman was being threatened by the police in her area because of her faith in Christ. And she knew that any day now she was going to be interrogated by them. And so she would pray, Lord, you say in your word that you will give me the words to say in situations like this. So help me and give me the words. Jesus' words in Luke 21, they were a reality for her. And so the next morning she's called before the police. She gets to work and the police are there waiting for her. And she told her pastor friend in the States, I just started to talk. And the first words that came out of my mouth were, it's good to see you guys. Where are we going today? And the police um, took her to the police station and they started accusing her of being a spy and she insisted she was not but she said I, I, have, I do have something to share and the police stop and say well what and she says I want you to know how thankful I am for you and they kind of looked at each other and she said you must love your country so much you work so hard to protect it and it's an honor to meet you and they didn't know how to respond and she turned to one of the police officers who was a woman and she said, you must be one of the most beautiful police officers in this whole country. And she said, the woman said, thank you. And they finally said, do you realize what's happening here? We know you share about Jesus. We know you talk about Jesus. We could throw you in prison. And she said, I would gladly go to prison to prove to you that Jesus loves the people of this country. 
And she said, I will gladly die if that will prove to you how much Jesus loves the people in this country. And she said one of the police officers began to tear up. And then eventually they ended up letting her go. When the one who has conquered death is holding your life in his hands, you don't have to fear anything or anyone. No fear of the future. Look at Paul again. He knows Jesus is in control, is in control of his future. I mean, how else could you explain this obscure Christian missionary getting an audience with a king and the governor and every important person in Caesarea, and eventually the emperor? I mean, this was not Paul's plan. It wasn't his plan to be beaten and arrested and thrown in prison for two years. But God took him on a two-year detour to share the gospel with some of the highest-ranking officials in the Roman Empire. So how about you? Have you ever found yourself on a detour in life that you would not have planned? I'm guessing most of us have. I'm guessing some of us are in that place today. And you look around and you think, this is not what I planned. But we know that Jesus is not dead. And we know that he's alive. We know that he's at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. We know that all authority under heaven and on earth is in his hands. And so we don't have to fear anything or anyone that comes in our future because Jesus Christ is on the throne. I mean, Paul's not afraid of death even. Because he trusts in Jesus who said these words in John 11. I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. And the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. So testify. Tell others about Jesus Christ. About what he means to you. About what he has done for you. About how he's changed your life. About how he loves all people and wants all people to know him. About how he is alive. And ask God and he will give you the opportunity to do this. And he will give you the words to say. To testify to what Jesus has done. 